Have you found yourself just surviving at work versus thriving through it? Well, I did too, and it caused me to end a 20-year career. When I look back at that experience, I was lacking the community I needed to make it through it. That's why I wanted to create this group where amazing women can come together to help each other. We are not complaining and we are not whining. We are solving each other's problems with the goal of thriving through the shit we find ourselves in. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Thriving Through the Shit. I am so excited to be recording my first podcast ever. Um, I am going to spend this episode introducing myself and explaining how the hell I started a podcast because I can tell you this was not part of the plan and that's what makes it most exciting is that I never dreamed that I'd be here but I feel so pulled and excited to do it and I want to share with you the why. So let me first say I'm going to introduce myself but you're also going to meet my dogs uh, because I feel confident they're going to bark during our podcast, many of them. And so you might as well just meet them right off the bat. But my name is Julie, and I am the creator of this podcast because it is based on some experiences that I've had that I'm going to share with you today. So you get clear on how this came to be, and you can decide, is this relevant for you and something that's worth your time uh, to invest in? I also want to introduce you to two, my two pups. I have two dogs. They kind of weigh like somewhere around 45, 50 pounds. They're total mutts. Uh, I always rescue my dogs. And one is probably some kind of husky mix and her name is Myla. And then we've got Sophie who looks like an Aussie on the outside, but there's a whole lot going on in there. There's many breeds and her name is Sophie and she's one and a half and Myla is probably a little bit closer to six. So I'm telling you about them because you will hear them bark. We live in a really cool area around the the D.C. area. Houses here are extremely small, very expensive, but very small. And so there is no privacy, you guys. So there's, you know, you're just going to have to be real with me and be okay with hearing pups, hearing sirens, hearing probably some planes here and there. Um, But that's just life. That's where we're going to be. So let me start by explaining what this podcast is. What I am trying to do with this podcast, and I'm laughing you all because I'm totally jumping to the end, and the reason I'm jumping to the end is because I gave one of my friends a script, and she said, Julie, stop building up to the why and just tell people what it is, and then you can give them the story about what it is, but just get to the point, and I'm giggling because I totally am doing that. So what this podcast is, is a place for business women to come together and just talk about the shit that we face, the stuff that really either brings us to our knees, really challenges us at work, stuff that we might not feel like we're thriving through, you know, alone. And we just need some help to figure out how the hell to deal with this. And so the intent here is that we're going to have number of episodes. You know, I'm definitely going to start it off with some universal themes that I think are very common to a lot of us, but then really it's intended to have you give us feedback or give me feedback on what are your challenges and what kind of things do you want me to talk about? And, you know, what kind of guests do you want me to bring on to help you through some of these challenges? And I want to tell you why this is happening. So before I do that, um, you know, as I think about who this podcast should 
hopefully resonate with. It's definitely going to resonate with my people in corporate America. I spent 23 years in corporate America, you know, worked my way up through a company during that time. Very proud of the career I created. Um, But I'm really hopeful that it's going to resonate with my entrepreneur friends out there, my service friends out there, um, and maybe even some men uh, that are part of this. You know, I'm obviously... A corporate America female that is that's where I'm going to focus my efforts because it's really important to me that this is a very real discussion um, but you know I think that this will make sense for some men out there too at minimum to help you understand and relate to us a little bit better but there's probably some similar issues that you face that have nothing to do with are you female or male and you know maybe you can um, enjoy this as well so I am hopeful this will appeal to the masses but I definitely feel like this you know if you're a corporate America businesswoman, uh, you know, you're going to be able to resonate with some things I'm talking about here. So, okay, so let's get started. So like I said, my name is Julie. I am a dog mom. I am a wife. I am a stepmom. I am a daughter, a sister, best friend. I have great friends that I'm just so lucky to have, believe it or not, since college um, that were so close. And then I've got amazing people that I've met um, throughout my career, you know, friends throughout my career and in my towns that I've lived in. And so, you know, with all those titles comes experiences, right? And so some of most of those experiences are very positive, thank goodness. Uh, But, you know, like all of us, right, we have challenges. And so I want to share a couple challenges with you that will help educate you on why this podcast came into creation and, you know, and hopefully uh, help you learn a little bit more about me. But most importantly, it's for you to decide if this makes sense for you because your time is valuable. And, uh, you know, I want to make sure that this, if you're going to invest your time in this, that, you know, it's something you feel really good about. So, I had, uh, like I said, I worked for um, almost 23 years in corporate America, and believe it or not, it was all at the same company, which I know is a little bit strange. That is not a typical thing, but it actually it really is at the company that I'm at, and that speaks to the company. I love where I worked, um, and I love the career that I was afforded there. You know, I obviously spent a lot of time building it myself, but I got a lot of opportunities and had a lot of support and will always be very grateful for that. But I will tell you that my last couple years at the company were not positive ones. And it resulted in me quitting. And so, you know, I am five minutes into this podcast and I just told you I quit. And so I can assure you that that decision was not made that fast. And it was it was torturous for me. It it took me well over a year to really struggle and probably even close to a year and a half to really struggle through this decision and ultimately get to the point where I resigned. It was not the plan. I always envisioned retiring from this place because the opportunities were plentiful. Uh, You know, I was, like I said, I had a lot of support there. And so I was on the track to be very, very successful and continue to go forward. But I just found myself in a situation that I just couldn't thrive through. And not only could I not thrive through it, you all, I I told my friend one day, it was actually a mentor of mine, and I had told her that I was leaving. I wanted her to hear it from me. And, you know, she asked me what happened. And I said, I said, I honestly just got to the point that I wasn't, not only was I not thriving, I was just trying to survive. And I said, and when that happened for an extended period of time, I had to go. So that's, that's how the name of the podcast came to be is, 
you know, I don't want any of you to just be surviving. I want you to be able to thrive through the shit you find yourself in. We're not naive enough to think that we don't have shit that we're going to go through. But when we do, yes, it might not happen overnight that we thrive through it, but we need to ultimately be able to move through it in a positive way instead of churning and, you know, having sleepless nights and stomach aches and tears and the whole thing. Um, and really feeling alone as I was going through it because that's how I felt. I never want any of you to feel that. And I never want to feel that again. So that is kind of the end of the story of how this podcast came to be. And hopefully that is something that you can relate to. But I, if you don't mind, I'm going to share a little bit more with you about some other challenges that I faced that were so much more positive that really inspired me to take the leap on this podcast. And so the first one actually is with my marriage. And it's not my marriage that's the challenge. Thankfully, I am very happily married to an amazing man. We got married in 2009. And when we did, he made me a stepmom. And I'm so grateful for our family. We're, you know, we're just... I'm very grateful for what I have with my family. And, but we are a military family too, which is also something I'm very proud of and grateful for. But as you know, with military families, there are things um, that are challenging. And one of the hardest things is deployments. And so we're Army family. And so Army deployments are about a year long. They're no joke, you know, and that's that's some difficult shit to go through. And so my husband's first deployment was a couple years after we got married. And I certainly knew that was going to happen. And I was certainly sad when he told me he was deploying, but I was going to be okay. You know, that was just part of the plan. I had my own life. I had, you know, good support system and I had uh, my job, you know, to keep me busy. And so we went through the deployment and it was so much harder that it needed to be for me during that time. And I didn't know it. And I frankly didn't know it until about four or five years later. And I'll tell you that. But why that deployment was so much harder for me than it needed to be is because when he deployed, it was with a different group than he normally went, and it was very last minute. And so unbeknownst to me, there was something called a family support group or family readiness group or the FRG. And so the FRG is intended to be a support system for the people back home, whether your parents, husbands, wives, kids, you know, whatever it is. And I didn't know a thing about it. And again, we didn't have any connection to the group he went to. So truly, they didn't even like reach out to me. Uh, You know, I probably just kind of fell under the radar because that's not a typical, that's not what's supposed to happen. So we go through the deployment. I don't have any other military spouses around me because we're National Guard. We're not active duty. It's not like we live in an army base or something. And so, you know, we go through the deployment. He comes home and I'm like, whew, we made it. Well, a few years later, you know, four or five years later, we find out we're getting deployed again. And I will tell you, because for those military spouses out there, I see you and I love you for everything that you do. And I'll tell you, Larry, my husband came home. He sits down on the couch. He opens a beer. He looks at me and he goes, we need to talk. And I'm like, you're getting deployed. And he goes, yep. I mean, it was just, I just felt it. And so, you know, he did. He gets deployed. And this time it is with his group and the role that he had during this deployment, it was appropriate for me to uh, be a very integral part of the FRG. And so I found out what this was. I was asked to lead it. And I certainly could have said no, you all. It wasn't like this isn't, you know, a demanding thing. But the reality was I wanted to say yes, because I was like, God, I don't want to do that again, where I just kind of felt like I was on an island. I didn't know what the hell was going on. 
And so I did choose to lead it. And I didn't really know what the intent of the FRG was. But in my mind, I was like, hell yeah, I'm getting information, man. And I'm not going to be in the dark anymore. So to me, it was all about information gathering. Well, as any good, you guys would be proud of me as my corporate America friends, um, as any good business lady does out there, I created a survey and I sent it out to anybody that was on the list of, you know, this family readiness group. And I said, hey, listen, what role do you want to play in the FRG? And it was anywhere from I want to play no role at all. And I just want you to give me information. Don't ever contact me, you know, send out newsletters, tell me what's going on, but don't ask me to do anything all the way to, hey, I want to be super involved and here you know, and everywhere in between. And so there was quite a few people that wanted to be involved, you know, wanted to get together, wanted to connect. And so we had quite a big group and it was a very diverse group. I mean, it was moms, it was dads, it was, you know, parents, younger, older, everywhere in between. We were different races and ages and socioeconomics. But over that year, you all, what we were able to form together was so rewarding. I can't, you know, I just could have never imagined. It was so great because you would, you know, once or twice a month, we would see each other. We would be sitting in a place together. And even if we had so little in common on a personal standpoint, our loved ones were overseas and we weren't. And we bonded and connected in that way stronger than probably I've ever bonded with anyone. And so to this day, you know, there's some that I've kept in touch with over time, but I know I could call any of these people and ask them for help. And we would just pick up where we left off because the bond was that strong. So it was one of the more rewarding experiences I'd had. Um, I'm so thankful I said yes to that opportunity. But I look back on that as a challenge and the support group that we were able to create together with such fondness. But I also look at it as a best practice. And I've really tried to draw on that in other challenges I faced since then. And so that brings me to the next thing I want to talk about. This one has is related to my health and it's related to mental health. So I am very honest about my age. I'm 46 years old. And in my early 40s, if you were to ask me if I was a healthy person, I'd say, yeah, you know, I had asthma as a kid, but yeah, I don't even really get colds, you know, and I had certainly never had mental health issues. And I was very lucky to that because, you know, certainly in um, like uh, my family, there's been challenges that way. My dad really struggled with anxiety. I have a brother that struggles in uh, with manic depression. So it's it's something that I'm aware of and something I had been around, but I was very blessed in that that, you know, other than like stress of life, I really hadn't struggled with that. And so my husband and I are on a work trip. It was my work trip. And this trip, you all, was intended to be amazing. It was for, it was called Winter Circle. So I don't know if a lot of you have this at your businesses or something similar, but the intent behind it is the individuals who achieved their goals at the highest level um, get awarded this trip and they get to bring a person with them and they get recognized in their business and just go somewhere great. So we were going to the Virgin Islands. Um, it was, you know, super fun. I had just been named to the role that afforded me the ability to go on this trip as a host. And I was coming from a different function in our business. So we're there. I literally had gotten named in the role maybe, let's say, five days before. I mean, it was really fast. So we quickly get our tickets. We fly down, um, you know, to meet the group and transport over to what is called a luxury yacht. Well, 
anyone who's been on like a big cruise ship, if any of you, you know, certainly seen them, they're humongous. You know, this was what I would call a baby boat and it was uh, beautiful. And it was, I definitely would have put it in the yacht category, but it, it was like a baby, baby cruise ship. And so as we're getting on the boat, I see two types of people. There is one group of people who are wide eyed and they have stars in their eyes and they're like, I made it. I did it. This is amazing. And I'm so proud, you know, and then the other one, other group of people are wide eyed with extreme terror saying, why am I getting on this baby boat in the middle of the ocean? That is a death trap. And as you can hear, Myla agrees that this thing was a death trap because she's barking her face off. Well, I was in the second group and I'm someone who gets motion sickness. I've been on a number of cruises, which, you know, I am blessed to have had those opportunities, but I have to take medicine when I'm on those because I get so sick. And so being in the middle of the ocean on a big, huge cruise ship is not enjoyable for me. So being in this baby boat was terrible. But first night, you know, we're having dinner. Everyone's so happy. The energy in the room's amazing. Have a couple glasses of wine and a beautiful dinner. And we go to bed pretty early because everyone's day started really early, um, you know, because everyone's traveling. So in the middle of the night, I wake up and I can't breathe and I feel like I'm having a heart attack. And I... Literally, I mean, I, I'm not kidding. I was like, this is it. I've I've always dreamed of dying in the middle of the ocean. And here we are. And I can laugh now, but it was not funny then. And so it's a panic attack. Well, I had never, I didn't even know that was a thing, by the way, but I had certainly never had one. And so my husband, he was awesome. And he was able to recognize what was happening and really help me through this. And so I look back at that now and I'm like, there is no shocking moment at all that I had a panic attack that night because I was scared of the boat. I had just gotten a new job. It was a much bigger job than I had with a lot more exposure. Um, it was a really hard customer that I was going to be leading. And honestly, it was in a function that wasn't nearly as supportive of females as the function I was coming from. The function was much more, I would say, siloed, but it was also much more clicky and clubby. And so I was scared of that. And I, I made the conscious decision to do it, but I was still scared of that and it was uncomfortable. So I can look at all this now and say, well, duh, of course that happened to you. But at the time, I had no idea what the hell was going on. And that shit was no joke. So I did what any good new person in this function executive director would do. And I got hammered for two days. I literally was drunk for two days. And you all, to give you an idea, I mean, I will enjoy a glass of wine with the best of them, but I'm not a big drinker. And, you know, I could go a month and have a couple glasses of wine. And so the fact that I did that at all, and certainly that I did that on the work trip in the environment I was in, shows you the place I was at. My boss even talked to me. I mean, I had an employee on this. I had an employee on this trip and I got hammered in front of my employee. Good Lord. So it just shows you where I was. Definitely not my best and finest hours. But no regrets because I just needed to get through that. Well, I would not encourage you if you have panic attacks to get hammered for two days, but that is how I handled it. And I promised I'd be real. So we get through the rest of the trip. We go home. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You know, get there and don't think about that again for months. Well, 
I'm on my way home from a work trip in China where I hosted my customer at our global headquarters. And it was a really good week. I mean, it was fun week just because we were in another country and all that, but it went really well. They were pleased. I was pleased. Everybody was happy. And I'm on the way home. And sure enough, you all, I had another panic attack. And so I'm on a plane having a panic attack, but at least this time I was like, okay, I, you know, you can get through this. And, and I was able to kind of like, you know, mentally, I don't even just survive through it. I can't tell you that I thrived in any way, shape or form. Then we went, I had a a personal trip, um, you know, a month or two after that with my family where we went to Europe and same thing happened. You know, as we're traveling, I'm having panic attacks. And so I thought, my God, you know, clearly this is related to travel. Something's going on. I got to get this under control. And then sure enough, you all, I was sitting in a Chick-fil-A line. I was waiting for my 12-piece nugget. You all know that those lines are so damn crowded. Even though they move them through fast, they're so damn crowded. And a thought entered my mind of, wow, if I needed to get out of here, I couldn't. And can you believe that caused me to have a panic attack? And that is when I waved the white flag and said, holy shit, what is going on? You know, I need help. And so I went to my doctor, told her what was happening, and she sent me home with some meds. And at the time, I was so pleased because I was like, okay, you know, I'm taking action here. I'm getting this taken care of and, you know, at least starting to learn to live with this, whatever that meant. Well, the meds she gave me, it just happened to be a Friday and I didn't have a good reaction to them and it was a really bad weekend. And so, you know, I was like, okay, done with meds for this. This isn't going to work. So she recommended I went to a therapist and I had never done therapy before. I, you know, I was a psychology major, so you know, obviously I'm very supportive of that, but I just had personally never done therapy. So I was a little nervous about it because I didn't, you know, really understand it. But, um, and, she, and my therapist was fine. She was definitely a, a nice lady. She was definitely educated and an expert in what she did, but we weren't a great fit. And, you know, she was one that was like, tell me how this makes you feel. And she was very passive. And, you know, I needed someone that was going to like tackle this thing with me and we were going to have structure and like kick this thing's ass, you know? And, and I just felt like soon she was going to have me drawing on a piece of paper and, you know, it just wasn't a good fit for me. So I realized I needed to ask for help from someone else that knew me. And so I went to my doctor at work and I was really scared to do that, you all. And my doctor at work was a woman, and she is someone that I loved. I mean, I knew her well, and I loved her. But I was scared to tell her what was happening. It wasn't a shame emotion. I, you know, that wasn't the issue. It was fear. Because at that time, when you when you feel like you can't get something under control, you feel like you can't be good at your job, you feel like you can't be good at your life, you're fearful, or I was fearful, that I was going to be judged for that. I was fearful. I mean, I know this sounds crazy now, but at the time, it was like, I mean, are, can they, are they even going to keep me in the job? This is such a big job. You know, I mean, it's just all, but that's where your mind goes. And so... She was so amazing, and I'm so glad that I was brave enough to do it because she's like, Julie, you cannot stay with that therapist. That's not the right fit for you. I've got someone in mind. She set me up with Bridget, and Bridget was is my you know superpower. I just love her so much. Within the first 10 minutes, I knew I was on the right track. 
The next time I came in, she listened to me. She diagnosed me. She's like, Julie, you don't have anxiety disorder. She said, you have something called panic disorder. She said you had a panic attack because you were in a you know panic part of your life. And she said, and now, unfortunately, you're one of those personalities that you have fear of having more. So that's what panic disorder is, is you are scared of having panic attacks, which causes you to have panic attacks. So how fun is that? I mean, that blows, right? So... Um, but that is what I have. And so she, that felt much more in line with what I was feeling versus just general anxiety. And I felt like, okay, you know, she's, she, I trust her and I trust that she's listening to what I'm saying and and really helping me. The next week when I went in there, she threw a workbook at me and she said, we're going to do a chapter a week. And I was like this, I love her. This lady knows me. She gets me where, you know, I'm in love. And so we, um, and she said, by the way, you probably won't be here more than 10 weeks, maybe not even that long. But, you know, she said, we'll just kind of figure it out as we go. And so it was awesome. And I just have such grateful, um, I, I'm just so thankful for that, you know, time and the support I got from her. So as I get through crisis, I start telling some people that I trust that this has happened to me. And some of them were my very best friends, you all. And what was so shocking to me is there's nine of us from college that we've been through everything together. We know each other's demons, skeletons. I mean, you know, the whole thing. And I told them, what was going on with the full expectation that I was the only one that had these issues because we had never talked about, you know, I'd never heard anyone else talk about it. And over half of my girlfriends told me stories of stuff that they have been facing. And that was real eye opening to me because truly the nine of us trust each other so much that it was very eye opening to me that we had never had these discussions. And so I vowed to myself that I was always going to try to take the tack of oversharing because once we all started openly talking about it, I can't tell you the relief it brought me and I could tell it brought them the same. And so if we couldn't do it as best friends, what if you don't have the best friends? You know, I just felt this like pull of, I want to be that person that openly talks about this. So I did. I told my team about what was going on. I would talk about it. You know, I led some of our affinity groups and I would talk about it there in appropriate manners. And I just became that voice that said, it's okay if you're having these issues and if you need to talk to me about it, because I'll share mine with you. And you know what? Some people think that is a mistake. And some, and, and frankly, there may have been times where I was judged for that. But I made the conscious decision that I wasn't going to care because it was more important to me. And it was so important to me <laughs> to have that support system that I also wanted to give it. So finally, um, during that time, one of my girlfriends, she said, as I was going through the crisis of it, she, I was yearning to find other women that had the same issues I did or similar, but that were really had thrived through it. And just like, you know, people that I could look for. And she said, Julie, I want you to listen to these two podcasts. And she told me about Mel Robbins and Rachel Hollis. And I'm sure a lot of you are shaking your heads because they have done an amazing job cultivating an amazing community. And I hope you're in it. But um, both of them, while very different people and in very different times of their lives, they both have struggled with anxiety and or depression. And what was so cool is they openly talked about it and they're crushing their lives. Like they are 
they've built multi-million dollar empires just by being themselves. They are, you know, very real with their audiences, or at least they appear to be, and and I'm going to believe they are. Um, And so, but, you know, they were open and vulnerable about depression or anxiety that they had. And obviously those were the episodes I went to first because that's what I needed. But once I realized like, okay, you know, I can do this. They did it. You know, I started just learning from them as women. And I'm so grateful that I discovered who they were and that my friend shared that. But at that time, I needed to see that. I needed to see these women that were so thriving in a way that I aspired to, despite some of these challenges. And they met that need for me. So um, again, that kind of pulled me to want to create something like this but I didn't know what for until I started having my work challenges. So the final situation that I'm going to share with you that just solidified this for me was also related to health. And you all, this one was a, a true health scare that brought me to my knees. It, um, I have something called vestibular migraines. And, you know, for those of you that know what a migraine is, you're thinking headache and, you know, those kind of things. But for me, um, I don't have headaches and things like that. What happens to me is I get very dizzy. So picture being on a boat in the middle of the ocean in a storm. And that's what happens to me when I have flare ups now. But when this started, it was chronic and it was 24 seven. So picture that you, you know, you get off of a boat and you have sea legs and, you know, you hear people talk about that. Well, that's what I had 24 seven, but it was like I was in a violent storm and it was horrifying. I mean, it just absolutely brought me to my knees. And so when this first started, um, my doctor got very concerned about could I have, you know, something wrong? Could I have a tumor on my brainstem? Could this be MS? You know, was I starting an autoimmune disease? Whatever it was. So I went through really a lot of weeks of really scary tests and scary times. But again, this whole time, I was pretty much bedridden with dizziness. Um, I would force myself to get out of bed and work uh, because otherwise I just sat there and thought about how I felt. But it was torturous. And so you know, we get through all these tests and you're so relieved that you don't have all these problems. But at the same time, I was so pissed because I didn't know what was going on. So I'll talk about this in another episode. But really, over the next 10 months, I was misdiagnosed. I went to a number of specialists. I ended up at the Cleveland Clinic. They, I'm from the Cleveland area. I went to high school and college there. And I did meet a neurologist that did help me quite a bit. Um, he was able to get me out of the chronic phase. I was still dizzy every day, but I finally got to the point where I had non-dizzy moments, which was life-changing after four months. Um, but again, I was dizzy every day for many, many hours. And it was just, you know, it was so disheartening. I went through the stages of grief, honestly, because I was like, okay, I got to accept that this is what it's going to be. And once I finally got to the point where I wasn't so much bedridden anymore, I started researching the crap out of it. And I'm sure a lot of you are laughing because like all of us, right, you take matters into your own hands and you say, I have got to figure this out. And so I started researching anything that sounded like what I had, and I stumbled upon a lot of migraine stuff. And one was this blog. It was, you know, not a medical journal, not anything like that. It was this blog and website of a woman named Alicia. And for those of you that know her, she is known to her fans as the Dizzy Cook. 
And so, you know, I start reading Alicia's story and her story, you all, is exactly my story. She was misdiagnosed. She had, you know, bedridden many months. And so she, I, I just, I cried because I was just so thankful that I found somebody that I was like, this, these symptoms are my symptoms. And so she's explaining her symptoms, but most importantly, she was explaining how she got to a point where she could live her life again. And she found a particular doctor that specialized in, um, you know, vestibular disorders, which I had to look up what the hell that even meant. I had no idea. But the long and the short is she shared her journey to figuring out where she, you know, could get better. And not only, I mean, I, my heart broke reading her story because I could just relate to how hard it was. Um, she was much younger in her life too. I'm sure it was so scary for her because she was like in her twenties when it happened. I, I was in my forties, not, you know, and it still sucked for me too, but I just picture that time in your life and I just, it broke my heart, but I was so relieved that there was one person that in the world that I, at least I could relate to a little bit. And, and I was more grateful for the fact that she shared her recovery story. And so sure enough, you all, I went to the same neurologist she went to. I was able to do it remotely, which was awesome. Um, and within two weeks, he had me on a med that broke my dizziness. So this you know, what I have is not curable. Um, you know, it might go away at some point, but it is not a curable thing. I have flare ups, but I got my life back and I was able to move forward after almost a year. And I was actually able to travel with my family or say yes to dinner plans with people or not be terrified to go on a walk around the block to be terrified I'd lose my balance or fall or not be able to make it home. So this brought me to my knees. And if I had not found the Dizzy Cook, all the medical journals in the world, which no one can fucking understand anyway, but if I had not just found a woman that I could relate to that had done something similar, that was brave enough to share her stories and share her solutions, who knows how much longer I would have suffered. And I now am part of support groups where I see people that have been fighting this stuff for three years, five years, seven years. And I just, my heart breaks because those 10 months were some of the longest of my life. And so I tell you this because she inspired me to want to be a better advocate for people on any issues that we face because it truly changed my life. So now I come to full circle of this podcast. The challenge that I faced at work was being in an environment where all of a sudden, after so many years, I found myself in a situation I was not thriving and I didn't have the support system I needed to thrive. My boss um, very much had favorites. Like I said, his management style was one where um, communication was not, you know, he didn't have staff meetings. He didn't pull everyone together for business updates uh, very, you know, I mean, maybe like two times in the whole time I worked for him or something. It just wasn't his style to do that. And I have a feeling the intent was good. I have a feeling the intent was, you know, you're adults, you run your team, um, you don't need me to waste your time. But the reality was because he had favorites, you know, you were kind of in the club or you were out of the club. 
when I was in a time of really difficult work times, such as the pandemic, because our industry during the pandemic exploded, business was so much more plentiful and it was so plentiful that we, we didn't have enough of the products we needed, you know, by a ton. And so really hard decisions were having to be made every day and really hard conversations were being had with your customers often, I mean, daily. And so information was so crucial and so critical during that time and I wasn't getting it. And so again, I'm not going to go into all the details because we'll do it in other um, episodes. But what I can tell you is I went through a lot of stages during that time. At first, when I was struggling, I thought, this is my fault, right? Like I can always fix problems. That's my job to solve problems. I've coached and mentored people that they own their career. So it was what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? And why am I not connecting him with him in a better way? Is it my approach? You know, am I too needy? Am I a pain in the ass? You know, whatever it was, I went through all the self-doubt, the self-reflection, and I started changing my approach. And I mean, truly, you all, I was managing it like, okay, this week I'm going to try this. Next week I'm trying this. And, you know, unfortunately, the results were just pretty similar. I was just really struggling to get what I needed to do the basics of my job. And so, you know, I finally was real blunt and I think I invited him to lunch and had a blunt conversation about, Hey, you know, here's how I'm feeling. And, and, um, you know, he, he listened and, and I felt like he took it to heart, but you know, nothing changed. So after a while, when you beat your head up against a wall, I went from self-doubt, this is my problem to fix of, I'm fucking tired. I'm not going to worry about it anymore, but I'm going to use my own network and work around this. Right. And Sophie's pissed off because she knows how hard this was for me. (laughs) But um, so I'm, you know, I was like, screw it. I'm done worrying about him and trying to make this work within my function. Now I'm going to work around it and just not worry about this anymore and accept the fact that's the way it's going to be. So that's what I did. And as I did those things, while that was much more beneficial for my customer, my team, it was killing me because I was having to work four and five times harder to do the basics of my job. So at the end of the day, you know, I was, I felt like I had run marathons and I wasn't even going above and beyond. I was just trying to, you know, survive through the days, right? And and be a good leader for my team and, you know, be a good um, advocate for my customer. And it was killing me. So again, it was, you know, I felt like it was improving for everyone, quite honestly, except me. And I was drowning through this time. And that's actually when I made the decision, you know, I was talking to my friend, I was like, I just feel like I'm trying to survive here. And I'm like, there's zero thriving. I'm just trying to make it through the days, right? So that's when I started to think about leaving. And you all, for me to say that, I can't tell you how odd that was because I was a legacy at this company, meaning my father had worked there for years. I had worked there for years. I had relatives that worked there. We're from a smaller town. It wasn't like, you know, we're not in LA. You know, this isn't LA or DC or New York that we're talking about. We're in a smaller area of the country. And so, you know, a very established a business with a whole lot of roots. And like I told you, I'm, you know, people I love worked there and um, still work there, by the way. And so for me to think about leaving this company was so to the contrary of anything that, I ever expected I'd be thinking or that other people would have expected. And so I had the conversation with my husband and I remember him saying like, why would you give up your career over one person's approach? And so, you know, like 
any, again, it was, it kind of turned back to, okay, yep. What am I doing wrong here? I can make this work. It's a problem to solve. And I don't say that to say my husband wasn't supportive. That was a very fair question. And it was one I was wrestling with too. But it did kind of, you know, perpetuate me to kind of manage, try to manage through this for a few more months. And again, just floundering, tired, exhausted. And so I finally decided that if I can't fix this situation, and at this point I felt like I can't, I have to remove myself from it. So I'm either going to remove myself from it by going to another function or I have to leave. So I started exploring going to another function and I just started getting pissed off, you guys, because I felt like I was settling. You know, it just didn't sit right with me that I was going to have to, you know, move away from this function into a function that I really didn't have a desire to go to just to run from this situation is how I felt. And I started getting mad. I started getting mad at my company. I started getting mad at the situation. I started getting mad at, you know, everybody, my dogs, my kids, you know, I'm I'm kidding, but you know, I was just pissed and I was like, this just sucks. And it just, it was disheartening. And so I also started to look for a job and I felt the same way. I was pissed and I was sad and I was mad. And I just felt like how at this point in my life am I here? Um, And there was nothing that I got super excited about um, as I was going through this. And now I can tell you it's because I was grieving. I mean, I was not in the right headspace to make a good decision during this time because I was just so disheartened that I got here and I was losing a huge part of me and my identity and I was grieving. What, you know, I didn't feel that at the time because when you're in it, you don't know, but that's what was happening. So I actually had a conversation with my therapist. I called her. I'm like, Hey, can we talk for an hour? And you know, so we did. And I told her this. And so she asked me an interesting question and she said, Julie, do you have to work? And I said, well, of course I have to work. And she's like, do you really? Because she knew my life and my situation. And my situation was my kids, they were in college or, you know, our oldest had graduated from college. She knew that we had, you know, saved in certain ways. And she knew that um, we were probably in a position that I could take a little time off. And I said, well, I guess I don't have to work, but I've worked since I was 16. Like, of course I'm going to work. You know, I'm, I'm not at an age that I'm going to retire. Like what the hell, you know what I mean? I was kind of like, what are you talking about? But she kept pushing me a little bit, you know, just to explore it. And long story short, you guys, that was the first conversation that frankly I had had with anyone that I was like, huh, I really could do something totally different than I've envisioned doing and do it in a way that never in my wildest dreams did I imagine. And so I thank her very much for that because she pushed me to think outside of what my norms were. But again, it, I just I just was so sad, you guys. And I, was, I felt real lonely in this situation because, you know, everyone was so busy and it was pandemic. And, you know, people are just trying to keep their own lives together. They didn't really have a whole lot of time to listen to my woes. And I wasn't comfortable sharing them with you because or sharing them with someone because, um, it was kind of embarrassing to be like, Hey, my boss doesn't like me. And it's going to the point where I feel like I can't thrive at this company. You know, there were some things that happened that felt very personal. And, you know, I just, it was weird. I mean, I felt like I was like a kid that couldn't solve a problem. And so, um, it was just really isolating. So the end of this story is I ultimately ended up leaving the company and, It was really funny when I left the company because I will tell you that 
there were some people that I was very honest about why I was leaving. And obviously this uh, was something that I, that I kept pretty close to the vest because while I was honest about it, it's someone's, you know, it's someone's character that you're talking about. And, you know, I wanted to be appropriate about that. But for most people, obviously it was just, Hey, this is, you know, are, we're in a different phase of life and excited to go and all those things. Right. And so it was really funny how many people jumped to the conclusion that they knew why I was quitting, that it was, you know, the, the great resignation and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And while I totally understand all that, that was so far from my situation. My, my resignation was totally preventable. It was a hundred percent preventable. And I just couldn't find a way to work through the situation I was in. And I felt very, like I said, alone as I was going through it. So that's how we get here is I will always wonder if I had more of a support system, if I could have found my, you know, Mel Robbins and Rachel Hollis and the Dizzy Cook and my FRG, would there be a different outcome? And I don't have any regrets because I'm liking where I am. I, you know, like anything, right? Things work out. But I will always wonder that. Could it have turned out different? And that's how this podcast got birthed was I don't want someone else to be in the same situation that I was, that I resigned because I felt like I didn't have any other choice, not because I knew it was the right thing. If I didn't resign, I was going to be miserable and, and I couldn't be miserable anymore. And so I had to resign versus choosing to resign, if that makes sense. And I don't want anyone else to have to do that. So that's how we got here. That's what this podcast is about. If this resonates with you, I really hope you'll listen to more episodes. I hope you'll follow me. Um, I'm on Instagram at Thriving Through the Shit. Um, I'm on Facebook. It is not Thriving Through the Shit. It's Thriving Through the SH because we're not allowed to say shit. Um, You can find the podcast really anywhere you can find podcasts. But you all, I'm just so excited to get to know you and launch more episodes and have honest conversations with you and ultimately get to a point where we start doing content that you're requesting versus what I'm pushing out. So thank you for taking the time to listen and I hope you have a great week.